I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Linda Simone. She was born and bred in New York, right around and in New York City all her life. But she relocated to San Antonio, Texas in 2015. So I'm really happy to have the geographic diversity of having a poet talking to us from Texas. Her new full-length poetry collection called The River Will Save Us was just published a couple of months ago by Kelsey Books, K-E-L-S-A-Y Books. And since she got to San Antonio, she's shown a capacity to leap right into the poetry world down there. She's had poems published in several anthologies, and uh, one of which, Bearing the Mask, Southwest Persona Poems from Dos Gatos Press, which I know is very active down there. That was published in 2016. And so, uh, Linda, I'm really happy to have you here and to be able to talk about all this and hear your poetry. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity, Charlie. Okay. And like right off the bat, I want to ask you saw a few things we talked about before coming on the air. So um, all those, what was it like having this big change from really being in the New York City metro area uh, to San Antonio, Texas? Well, it was huge, <laughs> to say it mildly. Um, first of all, the weather is different. Uh, there is not much of a winter here at all. The summers, uh, when the word hot was made for Texas summers because it gets really hot. Um, but even more than that, culturally, uh, it's very different. It's slower paced. The last 10 years uh, before I came here, I lived in New York City, so you can imagine that pace, uh, very fast moving moving and, you know, nobody stops and looks at each other on the street and that type of a thing. And it was great. I mean, I love New York City, but uh, coming here, it was a huge change. Um, everything is much slower. Um, you walk into the CVS and all of a sudden you hear a voice saying, oh, welcome, welcome. And like, you'd start turning around. Like if that happened to you in New York, you'd probably hit the ground, you know, <laughs> but, uh, and so, but I, 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 my husband had retired and then I um, decided to follow suit about a year later and our son lives here. So we thought it might be a good place to, uh, to land. And, but when I came here, uh, the, the hardest thing for me was losing my whole network of friends and poetry connections and art connections. Cause I also paint. So that was really hard. And I just had to make an effort to get involved in the poetry community. Um, and I, uh, the, the way it happened was I saw a contest uh, in the library, local library, for uh, a call for poems that were going to be on the city buses. So I said, oh, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. So I sent in two poems, three poems, whatever it was, and I got it accepted. And, and everything here in San Antonio, they love poetry. So there are big um, receptions and, uh, you know, you, you go and you read your poems and there's a crowd and they publicize it and they pay their poets. I mean, it was amazing. So I went to the reception for that and I met all these poets that I, I didn't know anybody. So all of a sudden I met poets and they were very welcoming. Uh, and that's how it started. <laughs> that's super. I mean, the fact that, uh, one, one good connection, 
And it's great that it happened from the library, don't you think? I mean, it's a great. It's it made me feel so good. And then um, because of that connection, I heard about um, the poet laureate at the time, Lori Ann Guerrero, was doing her poet laureate uh, special project, and she had a call out for poems. It was called "Love Poems to San Antonio." So by this point, I was like, "Well, there's some things I do love about San Antonio, so I'm going to write some poems," you know. And um, and I sent in and happily got two poems accepted for that project. And uh, the reception for that was really amazing because it combined poetry and art. And so the, all of the winning poems, and I think there were maybe were about 20 or 30 of them, were uh, put on the wall and artists did this beautiful um, artwork to go along with each poem. So it was just amazing. And one of the poems um, was called The River Sings, and they had the poem on the, let's see, you know, like a step, the, the flat part, before, not the part you step on, but the rise part of it. They had the poem going up these steps. It was it was amazing. It was just amazing. And again, went there, met some of the same poets and met some new poets and, and it's just kind of grown from there. So, so San Antonio has been really good to me <laughs> from the poetry perspective. Yeah. From what you're saying, they really got a poetry uh, infrastructure you know, really do. And, and activities. That is just, just super. Well, why don't we hear a poem? Great. Well, I'm going to read you that poem actually that um, I wasn't, planning on it, but I think I will. Um, it's the poem that was accepted for Love Poems to San Antonio, the one that was going up the steps. <laughs> and let me just get it here. Okay. It's called The River Sings. Come, drop your footprints like leaves along my edge. Let me cradle your far-flung histories in glittering arms that sway and curve. Breathe in your blushes and shrugs. Read faces mapped by worry or wonder or joy. Fatten lungs with the hum of honeysuckle. I sing of abuelas crushing saffron ears to masa. Neapolitan papas toiling coffee fields to earn passage. Omas building lone star cities out of sand. And all wanderers woven from blaring oceans or silent island coves. Hear my Favonian song. Sleep beside my narrow bed, loose dreams to float with masked turtles and silken swans. Walk beside me, all of you, into the delta of change. Run with me. Listen. Canta. Whoa, well, you definitely uh, seem to have immersed yourself in the culture down there <laughs> in such a short time. I actually started uh, learning Spanish <laughs> because it is a big part of the culture down here, and I wanted to try to assimilate a little bit. So I'm yeah. slow to learning. It's hard to learn language when you get a little bit older, but I'm I'm sticking with it. <laughs> well, you, you also have an advantage that you don't have a heavy-duty New York accent. You know, it's true. My husband has more of than I do. Um, I guess yeah. being in the suburbs so long, I, I don't have uh, that much of a, a New York yeah, more accent. Of a neutral, like middle America kind of thing, I think. It <laughs> probably be an asset to not get a you know immediate prejudicial view of you before people meet you. You know, exactly, exactly. Yeah. They have to think about where I'm from. <laughs> and they're not sure. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. 
Uh, where did that poem start? Did, what part of it, you know, got you going? Well, uh, what started it was uh, one of the places in coming to San Antonio, you know, people who know it know the River Walk. And it's this very, it could be very touristy in parts, but it's very long and it's not touristy in a lot of parts. And so mm -hmm. when I take walks, I like to go there and I'm, you're walking right beside the river and it's just so beautiful. Um, it's very peaceful and um and so, and, and there's a lot of wildlife there. There are the turtles, there are red-eared slider turtles, and there's ducks, and there's, it's just, just beautiful. So I kept walking there. I, I like to, I think walking for me is kind of a way of writing poetry because I, mm -hmm. you get the, your, your pace is kind of like the pace of a poem and you start to get ideas. And, and so that's kind of where that poem started is, is these walks along the river. And, and then I kept thinking about all the people who walked beside this river and yeah. they're from all over, you know, they're not just from San Antonio, they're from Mexico, they're from, you know, Italy, they're from uh, all over, you know, and yeah. it's, uh, it's, that's where it started. Okay. Yeah. Just I'm always curious about that, especially when a poem is multidimensional. It's not so obvious uh, which might have come first or right. where it might have come from, you know, the creative process. Uh, how about doing another one? Oh, sure. You know, um, let's see. I'm going to read a poem called, it's called Speaking with Rivers. So this is actually the last poem in that collection. And um, I was inspired by... Langston Hughes, actually, his poem, The Negro Speaks with Rivers, uh, speaks to rivers, I think. And um, there's something about rivers. And, and it made me look at, like, not just the San Antonio River, but maybe all the rivers in my life. There have been a lot of them. And, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't realize that they, they kind of get into your blood. Right. So this is called Speaking with Rivers with Gratitude to Langston Hughes. Before you do it, um, can sure. you say a little more about what Langston was about? Well, Langston Hughes was part of the Harlem Renaissance, mm -hmm. and um, several of his poems have served me in my life. They've they've spoken to me. Um, this one, especially when I was working on this um, on this collection, but also uh, when I did my very first teaching gig as an adjunct professor, um, the classroom that I walked into was very very diverse, uh, and so I. I knew that it was going to be kind of an issue, you know, because here I had this, they had this white woman walking into a class and probably the only white person in the class and everybody else was from many different cultures. And so I decided to address the elephant in the room uh, and I wrote, I, I uh, read to them his poem, Theme from English B. And it just kind of worked. I mean, everybody listened and everybody understood that we were all there to listen and learn from each other. So he's he's been helpful to me mm. <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways. And I love his poetry. So this one, Speaking with Rivers, is uh, written with gratitude to him. Rivers have known me. Rivers, ages and ages old. Rivers venerable as Earth's crust. I've tread narrow wanderings of the Bronx River. I've watched dawn make the Hudson blush. Near Tom's River, under the brightest star, succumbed to sleep. I've caught the San Antonio singing to me in Spanish. 
near sites where Payayans shared sacred myths like Masa. Unworthy of rivers, I gaze at their forgiving liquid constellation faces. Many rivers I've called my own. Others have murmured my name. I've grown ragged like rivers, welcome their wisdom in my blood. They seek answers, and there is no question the river will save us. That's a very neat turn there at the end. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, super enjambment there. Thank well, you. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's the San Antonio River is where the river walk is along. Yes, the San Antonio River. And it's it's pretty long. I, I, I'm not really good with distances or anything, but yeah. it goes um, all the way from the missions, the San Antonio missions, which are wonderful uh, for people who might want to visit the, the city. Yeah. It's There's a lot to see, and they're wonderful. Um, and then it, it goes past uh, an area called the Pearl, which is a restored uh, brewery. And they've made it into this, it's like kind of like a shopping mall, but it's really way more. There's there's so many cultural things that go on there. There's farmer's markets, there's music, there's jazz, it's wonderful. So, you know, and then it keeps going and it goes more towards the hotels that are, you know, a little bit more touristy that part. But. Sounds like you made a great move because you're a great spokesperson for San Antonio. Uh, I really love it. I really do. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I'm a, I'd like to flash back. You sent the poem uh, called Sandy, which, oh, yeah. um, of course, flashes back to New York days, Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. So, yeah, when we were in New York um, and we were in the city at the time, uh, there oh. was Hurricane, Hurricane Sandy hit and the city was like crazy. Everybody was trying to prepare and, you know, buy the, the store shelves were empty and, you know, the usual hurricane stuff. So this was kind of our experience. And, and when Sandy hit, the city was black from, I think it was 40th street down, down south. Wow. And then, uh, and then the rest of the city north didn't what there were no there was no blackout and we were like two blocks i think from where it blacked out and we were the lucky ones so this is called sandy we wait refrigerator packed water stocked candles and books at the ready phones ipads charged the rain comes and we watch anticipate power loss that starts four blocks south creeps two avenues away Darkness and the surge of surf to the west, the Hudson's rage. How did we arrive in Oz, glistening technicolor in a city gone black? On still working TV, images of all we fear like some prime time horror show. So much washed away. In disbelief, we stab our roast beef, helping of guilt, jubilation, and grief on the side. Wow. Yeah. Really, it was like we felt guilty. We felt it was almost like survivor syndrome, you know? It's oh, yeah. a strange feeling. Yeah, and it really was. I mean, it, it got the subways, it got down the subways, right? And they were all. Oh, yeah. It was, shut down. it was like waterfalls and everything was shut down. In fact, even uh, my work, I think, was closed for two days or something. I was working from home because I, I still had power. So, yeah. But uh, oh. it was. It was 
It was well, a tough experience. Yeah. I, I wanted to be sure you read this because I, I had a question I wanted to ask you, which is an issue that interests me is um, what do you do? Uh, what kind of issues concern you or do you think about when you essentially want to tell a story, but you want to do it in a poem? Oh, okay. I feel like I've dealt with that, so I'm curious about what other people th think about that. You know, all right. You do. You are basically in this one. It's high narrative. You're telling a story. Okay. But what do you do to make it a poem? All right. So I can. Are you talking about Tea House, right? Tea House of the Texas Moon. Or Sandy, right here. Is oh, like Sandy. Okay, I thought you were talking. What no, you What no, you do Sandy. to make it a poem um, is, <laughs> first of all, you live it. Okay, <laughs> and then you step away from it and you and you kind of enter it again but like in a different frame of mind um and and then you you think of the images you think of how they make you feel you know the fact that like people are like suffering um two blocks south of you they don't have lights they don't have they don't have anything they you know and if they can't even walk out the door because the water is coming over the Hudson. So it's, um, I think it's just putting, putting yourself into the situation and then just letting kind of your feelings take over. And, and then once you have it down on paper, it's raw, you know, and it needs to be crafted, yeah. obviously, sure. you know, you can't just <laughs> write it and then expect it to be a poem. You know, everybody knows, a good poem is like ninety nine percent revision, in a lot of instances, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I what the, what I thought you were asking me about was the the poem I sent you, which is Tea House of the Texas Moon, because that was a situation that happened in San Antonio. Um, I when I first came here to try to get acclimated. I was going to libraries, I was going to museums, and there was a beautiful Japanese tea garden here. And so we went one day just to see what it was like. And it was gorgeous and serene and beautiful. And then they had a little gift shop and they had a little restaurant. And in the gift shop, I picked up the brochure and it talked about the people who lived there. And it was a Japanese family, the Jingu family. And in the 1920s, they were invited to, um, in fact, the husband, Kimmy, was uh, asked to help plan the, the building of this um, Japanese tea garden, which was an old quarry. And um, he helped, excuse me, he helped design it. And, um, and then they asked him to live there with his family and to run the tea garden. And so um, this you know, it was, was pretty interesting to me, but the, the real thing that caught my attention was when Pearl Harbor happened, this family, which was a unique asset to the city of San Antonio, was suddenly cast out of the tea garden because they were considered enemy aliens as Japanese. It was terrible. And I just, I couldn't get it out of my mind. So I went home and I started to research <laughs> and I did a lot of research and found a out a lot about this family. Um, and I was just, I was so fascinated by them and, and fascinated by how something could change, like from one day to the next. One day, you know, you're beloved, and then the next day you're an enemy. Um, and so this was, you know, the narrative here was that I did so much research. I had so much information that every bit of it I found interesting, that it was so hard to get it into a poem. I, I would try 
and people would read it. I read it to my friends. Uh, we have a writing retreat actually in Vermont every year. Oh yeah, you said that. Yeah, and uh, so I would read it at our my friends. Uh, we call it the magic table, the dining room table, and we all share writing there. And uh, and I got dead silence. And I was like, oh, this is not a good sign. <laughs> and they were like, well, you know, there's wonderful information in there, but you need to narrow down to like one moment or it's, it's you're trying to tell their whole story. You can't do that in one poem. And so um, 25 revisions later, <laughs> the poem finally worked. And that's the poem actually that was in the uh, Bearing the Mask um, anthology. Mm. Uh, I started to write it, I saw that they had a persona poem anthology, and this was written in the in the persona of the mother, um, uh, Miyoshi Jingu. And it was written about what happened once they found out that Pearl Harbor happened and they were gonna have to leave their home. Yeah. So. And there's uh, another big point, I think, about putting a story into a poem. It's like exactly. that, fo that focus that you mentioned, like you just can't do all that. If you do all that stuff, you're, you're getting into, I guess, a novella or something. Exactly. It felt like it felt like um, it didn't feel feel like poetry. It felt like a narrative, uh, like yeah. a, I don't know, memoir or something, or you know. Yeah. So really it, it, yeah. yeah, it was a lot of work, but but it was worth it was worth it <laughs> because that that actually that poem actually was kind of the linchpin for pulling this collection together because oh. I started thinking about my own migration from. Mm -hmm. New York to San Antonio and what that felt like. I thought about my grandparents who my who immigrated actually from Italy to New York through the uh, coffee fields of Argentina hmm. um, to earn passage, and then you know just p other people who have come to San Antonio. Other, and so that that was really what helped me pull the the collection together. Great. Well, let's hear the poem. Okay, <laughs> so it's called Tia. Tea House of the Texas Moon, and there's an epigram, and it's, uh, there is nothing you can think that is not the moon, Matsuo Basho. Your silvered glow, San Antonio moon, spills like a billion stars. Under your cool fire, I count hours, if lucky, days. Where will we go? That faraway city named for crystal but adorned with barbed wire? My eight young, who yesterday splashed among lily pads, long for their artist father as if five years passed in five nights. Beneath your piercing eye, I lie. We will be all right. What to take? My mother's kimono of red silk? To warm us some earthy matcha tea? This small painting by Kimmy? snow white peony luminous through cobalt glaze or from our pond lotus like a sleeping angel gratitude of guests now gone this tea is refreshing miyoshi your children so sweet especially mabel in december's damp chill i pray to you gibbous god my hope thin as rice paper let me be quicksilver shift change, move as fluidly as indigo watercolor. Under your lunar light, Pearl Harbor, will mercy rise for those who shout at us, leave now and don't look back? 
wandering sister who never failed my sky-bent prayers, will you return to fullness, seed the river's face with iridescent pearls? That's really, really interesting. And it's so interesting to have the story, the full story behind it, too. Yeah. So it's yeah. well in the in the book, I actually have one page that's a history, a, a brief history of the Jingu family. So because so otherwise I don't think it would make sense, you know. Yeah. People kind of need to know what inspired that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's no harm in that. You know, I mean, if you're writing, you can do whatever you want. So why can't exactly. we put in a paragraph <laughs> of explanation? I don't think it should be considered a big no-no, you know? Right. So some yeah, people are, don't right. want to do anything. Just give them the poem. But uh, I don't know. That's a little, it's an unnecessary restriction. I think so. <laughs> just, and I think there, something would be lost out of that story because the story itself is so amazing, you know. Actually, the, an interesting thing is that I connected with the family's granddaughter who lives in California, and uh, wonderful the wonders of social media. Wow. Um, yeah, and I, I sent her a copy of the uh, anthology when it was published, and she wanted to know what why I wrote about her family, and I was like, I just got interested. I got, I got curious first, and then I was like almost obsessed with the, like finding out the story. And it's so rich. I mean, there's just so much more to the story. Yeah. It's amazing, uh, but you know, there's only so much you can put in a poem. Right. Yes. Wow. That is really very cool. Our time is up, and I'm going to have to say, uh, you're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. We have been visiting with Linda Simone from San Antonio, Texas. And now I'd like to talk to you a little bit about a nice new book called Beat, The Latter Days of the Beat Generation, a first-hand account by Andy Clausen. Clausen hung out with the Beats. He traveled with Ginsburg. He did a lot of poetry readings over the years with Ginsburg and Corso and others. He was a uh, presence at some of the uh, memorial or let's say uh, whatever you want to call them, those panels and little festivals that people get together to honor and recognize and remember the Beats. Over the years, Clausen has, has been there on the scene. And so in this book, he provides some details you're not going to know if you weren't there. I'll admit when I looked at this book for the first time, I didn't expect a whole lot. I've read a lot of books by and about the Beats. I've heard the basic story again and again and again. But Clausen gives you some different insights, and he's covering a time period that pretty much has not been covered the post-Beat era, let's say. Uh, it's not nearly as exciting as the Beat era, but it's interesting. And if you're the kind of person who really is is into the Beats and wants to know the details and wants to know who all was on the scene and around and who hung out with who, you're going to find some new names to look into. You're going to find some poets, perhaps, that you have not read that you'd... Uh, like to look into, find out more about, try and find their books somewhere, some obscure source maybe on the internet, and see what they have to say. People like Ray Bremser. Now, some of these people are known to you, some may not be. Uh, Charlie Plymel. Uh, Charlie Plymel was right there with Ginsburg. I heard him read in Tacoma Park, Maryland. Uh, I don't know, it must have been the 80s. And at that time, he was a pretty bitter guy because I. Uh, he was right there with the other uh, folks who got 
famous, let's say, and he didn't get famous. Well, you can get Charlie Pamel books out there. You might want to look into that. I was interested to see David Cope mentioned a couple of times. He's the longtime publisher editor of Scream magazine, a really excellent magazine coming out of the Midwest. You might want to look up Scream. You might want to look up David Cope. Uh, we had him on here for a podcast talking about his book of his correspondence with Allen Ginsberg over the years. I was also very pleased to see that my friend Antler out in Milwaukee was mentioned in more than one place where Clausen said that Ginsburg was talking to him about up-and-coming poets and mentioned Antler as a guy whose work he really admired. So uh, Antler and Antler's lifelong partner, Jeff Panyevash, who is a poet and eco-activist also from Milwaukee. He was Poet Laureate of Milwaukee at one point. He passed away a few years ago, and I was really happy to see Jeff mentioned in the book as well. And another mention that I'll say I think really shows you know uh, you know is Julia Venegrad. Julia Venegrad is this marvelous Berkeley, California street poet. And I'll sell you, the first time I ran into one of her little chapbooks, I don't know where I got it. Maybe it was out there at Cody's, or maybe it was actually from her on the street peddling it. But I read a few poems, and my, my first reaction was, wow, there, there really is a female Bukowski. So, Julia Vinograd, another person to know, to look into, uh, to learn about, if you really want to get depth about the beats. Other other well-known people, of course, are in here. Ginsburg, Corso, Burroughs, Deprima, Waldman, Jack Michelin, Ken Kesey. Even Bukowski gets a couple of pages, and Bob Kaufman. So, as I've said, this is a really interesting uh, uh, book in that it goes into that kind of detail about what was happening and what was going on where. I will say that one of the, to me, major limitations of the book is that there are no chapters, so there is not a table of contents. And with a book like this, I would actually like to see an index. I'm sure they didn't even think of that, but uh, index and table of contents would help greatly because when I'm mentioning these names, I know if I'd like to go back and learn some more about these folks, um, the publisher Autono, Autono, Autono Media could have made it a lot easier for me by hiring an indexer or at least insisting on a table of contents. But we've got a new book about the Beats, and it doesn't go over the same old stories from how they all met at Columbia and around New York City and that sort of thing. So I think if you really want to know uh, more, you will find yourself uh, satisfied with a lot of the things that you find in this new book by Andy Clausen, Beats. The Latter Days of the Beat Generation, a first-hand account. I'm Charlie Rossiter. This has been Poetry Spoken Here. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. 
And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.